Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. And aren't you excited about God's Word today? I mean, how many of you spent time in the Word this morning? Anybody? Not in Sunday school, but on your own. Some of you did. Good. Should you be? I'm not sure about you, but I, I really struggle if I don't get that time in. Okay? I've got to have that time with God. Not just in His Word, but, in, 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 but him, him moving upon me and in, in, in teaching me. You know what happens if we don't? We start having our own opinions about Scripture and about Christianity. Is that happening today? Do you think it's possible that if we're not spending time in the Word, and allowing the Spirit to enlighten us about His meaning, it's possible we start to draw our own conclusions, interpret our own ideas about the Scripture? Well, I know it to be true. It's interesting because I've done some counseling and I've talked with people and, and, and you know, just in conversation and, and sometimes in a, in, a, in a heated exchange, but not an argument necessarily, but sometimes we get kind of excited about, you know, our belief systems. And I'm not talking about theological belief systems. I'm talking about wrong interpretation of Scripture, where we take something that God meant for good and use it to do whatever we want. I think that happens oftentimes. Things like, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe that, that my God would ever condemn anybody to hell. I believe His grace covers everything no matter what it is. Eh, You've got to be careful with that, amen? Or, you know, I, I, I don't think it, it matters. I mean, it's only love. If you love somebody, what difference does it make? That's a problem, right? You see, friends, God does love everybody, and He is love. I get that. But He loved you so much to send His Son to die for you that you might be redeemed and require something of you because of it. And that's to give your life to Him and surrender, yeah? Okay? So this particular message is entitled in our, in our Life Lessons from James series, Faith by action. Now, the Bible, d depending on which version of Scripture you have, which translation, might say deeds, it might say action, it might say works. But either way, they're all meant to be the same. And if you turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2 and scroll down to verse 14, you'll find in the NIV that it is in caption, faith and deeds. And that's fine. Works is fine as well. Actions are fine as well. Any of those things will work because you'll understand what James is trying to say to us. And some people struggle because they think that this is a contradiction. And we're going to talk about that in the next few minutes. And so James writes in faith by action or faith by deeds. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, get this, 
is dead. Faith, by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Hold that in your mind, but don't dwell on it, okay? But, he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. We're going to talk about that interpretation as well. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and that's the point. Remember that. Abraham believed God, as do most people, okay? And it was credited to him as being righteous. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. There's a point of consternation for some people. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is also dead. Now, there, there's an awful lot here, and, and I know that an hour or whatever we're going to spend here is not enough time. I know that we live in a society and a church of people that thinks that 20-minute, 30-minute sermons are all that are necessary. I struggle with that. Doc Coker struggled with that because I and he both know that, yes, shorter sermons are harder to deliver and prepare. The fact of the matter is there's so much in the Scripture that you can't get it done in 20 to 30 minutes. I wish we could, but we can't. And this is what I've been telling people over the last several months. Let me ask you a question. If you went to school in high school or in college, and you went 20 to 30 minutes a week, how long would it take you to graduate? And what exactly would you learn? But that's exactly what we're telling the church and telling God that we want. What are you going to learn in 20 to 30 minutes? Isn't that why we have Wednesday evening services and Sunday night services? So that maybe we'll get three hours a week and we go to school, even in kindergarten, how many hours a week? And you can say, well, you, the summer, you know, makes up for it. No, no, it doesn't. Do the math. What are we really giving God in our understanding of Him? And I'm not just talking your own study time. Shouldn't we be in church more than that? Shouldn't we be learning more than that? Is an hour too much to ask? I don't think so. The restaurants will still be open. Dinner will be held. You'll be fine. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you. Let's think about what we're giving God. And I'm telling you that so I can get more preaching time. What I'm saying is I think God's scripture deserves more than that. And so let's take a look at what he has to say. And, and, and as I was thinking about this, it dawned on me that perhaps the most fundamental doctrine in the Protestant faith and theology is salvation by faith alone. And it, that's said over and over and over again. And, and yes, the scripture supports that and says that. I get it. But I want to call your attention to the entire scripture and not just one verse or two. You understand? 
We believe and teach that nothing is necessary for salvation other than belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And I believe that. Do you believe that? Okay, you have to believe that because, because really that's, that's exactly what has been said. And from that point forward, we receive the salvation that we're seeking. All we have to do is ask for it, and God gives it. Yes or no? Okay? Now, the Bible, though, seems to contradict itself a little bit in some ways when it speaks to the necessity of works or deeds, which means action. And that's what James is trying to clarify in this particular passage. In other words, we're going to have to do something to maintain our salvation. Maybe even to receive it. Because the process isn't complete until you decide. And I'm going to explain that to you as we get down through this. Now, there's going to be some pastors who disagree with me. That's fine. Knock themselves out. But as I read it, and I understand it, God wants something from me. It's not enough just to get saved. Amen? It's not. I'm required to do more than that. So it would seem that there are parts of Scripture to contradict themselves, but we know that the Bible is clear that it doesn't contradict itself, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be the inerrant Word of God, would it? So if the Bible can't contradict itself, if God wouldn't allow it to contradict itself, and I know the naysayers are out there saying, well, you know, it wasn't written by God, it was written by man. Well, then they misunderstand what God, what God did. Because if it couldn't be there or shouldn't be there, God wouldn't have allowed it, would he? Okay? Either God inspired it or he didn't. I believe that he did. What do you believe? Okay? So if it's in there, then it's there for a reason. And I will additionally tell you that there have been some scholars and theologians of old who struggled with anything outside of salvation by faith alone. There have been. Martin Luther, who was the father of Protestantism, basically, and he was one of those people. In fact, Luther led this crusade a number of years ago um, to remove the book of James from the scriptures because he said that I just, I just can't have it in my Bible because he struggled with this particular statement from James. Now, Luther failed in his crusade for two reasons. One, again, there was just too much evidence that it belonged in with the rest of the scripture, and two, God wanted it there. And aren't you grateful that God did? Okay? Now, Luther disliked James because at first glance, it seems to say that Jesus' blood wasn't enough to save. In my opinion, that's not what James is saying. But I can understand why Luther thought it and why others think it. And in this message, I've tried to show why it appears to say this. And at the same time, teach us why Paul and James were actually in agreement in this theology and dispel many Christians' arguments that faith in Christ is all that is necessary. For if we believe that, then we're never compelled to change our lives, you see. And I, I, I stand before you a person whose life needed to be changed. Anybody with me in that? Okay. And if that's true, friends, if we could do it without having our lives changed, then we could live and act any way we wanted with near impunity. And grace would just cover all. And I don't read that in the Scripture. And more than that, the Holy Spirit doesn't teach me that. For when I fail the Holy Spirit, it devastates me. Anybody with me here? Okay? This is important for you to understand. So in other words, as Paul said, the need for grace would never decrease, and it should. Paul said where sin increased, grace also increased, but he reiterates the fact that 
Your sin ought to decrease, and therefore less grace would be necessary. Amen? You believe that? Okay, so, so clearly there's a pattern here in the human life. Jesus indicated that it needed to be true. And in this regard, I believe Luther was wrong in his interpretation. Okay? But I'm not slamming Martin Luther. You don't go out and tell people I said that. Okay? But if they go together, which I believe that they do, then what is the relationship of faith and action or faith in deeds or faith in works? Well, we got to look at it in two separate opinions, one according to the Apostle Paul and one according to the Apostle James, and let's go there. In Romans 4, 1 to 5, and I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation, look at what Paul says. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, that's the key. You heard that, right? God counted him righteous because of his faith. That would indicate faith alone, yeah? Okay. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but they're something that they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Clearly, Paul is saying something that needed to be there. And there was a reason why he said it, okay? Because people thought that they could, you know, the Jews thought that they could just follow this list of regulations, and guess what? That's it. And Paul said, no. Your works won't get you anywhere because that's all you want. You have to have faith that Jesus was the Christ. And that's how you get saved. Clearly, Paul, though, is saying that we're not righteous by works, deeds, or action because it's deeper th than that. For one thing, the Jews first thought that the gospel was only for them. You know, and, and, and the big joke these days is that, you know, amongst denominations is, you know, uh, when you get to heaven, you're going to say, uh, shh, 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 don't be quiet, go past this door because that's where blank are and they think they're the only ones here. You could, put, you could put anything you want in there. It could be Wesleyans, it could be, it could be Catholics, it could be, you know, whatever. Protestants, Baptists, you name it. Friends, I have news for you. I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lot of people from all faiths there. And it, didn't, it doesn't have to do with how you did church. It has to do with what your heart did. It, it depends on how much of that God had from you, you see. But the problem here is that even in the early church, the Jews struggled to accept Gentiles into God's kingdom and had the entire Old Testament basically to back them up because it seemed to them that God said, you're my chosen people and you're the only ones I want. I mean, that's not exactly true, but it does seem that way, doesn't it? And God did choose them, and they were his favored nation. But we know that God not only made his covenant with Abraham, but with others as well. Abraham was the father of that, but he was the righteous man at the time that God chose. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more further down the message here. But God accepted everyone in Abraham's household, and they weren't all Jews. They weren't all Hebrews, you understand? So we have to look at that as well, and we'll get there eventually. But we find out that this is a deeper thing because when Cornelius got converted, he was a Gentile in Acts 11, the Jews were convinced that God wanted them to bring the gospel to the Gentiles as well. But they also then tried to make the Gentiles get circumcised and become Jews first, and then they could be saved, you see. Well, God made no such provision for that. In fact, Jesus did away with that to a point. 
Okay? And again, this goes deeper even still. The fact is, there were enough Christians out there at that point that, that circumcision physically was no longer necessary. But what Jesus indicated and Paul reiterated is this, that there needs to be a circumcision, but it's not a physical one, it's in the heart, it's a spiritual one. That's what needs to be changed. Amen? And so, and people are going to know, you don't have to have this physical thing done to you or a mark put on you to prove that you're a Christian. People are going to know you're a Christian, how? By what you do. That's exactly what James is talking about. You show me faith and I'll show you my deeds. That's it. People, listen, have you ever been someplace and you saw somebody, you didn't know them, but you knew they were a Christian? How did you know? How did you know it? By the way they acted, what they did, what they said, the way they treated people, maybe the countenance, maybe the joy, regardless of the situation or the circumstances, yeah? I'd like to think that I would do that regardless. How about you? Come on, are you, are you, are you guys dying today or what? Come on. Wake up. What kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you want people to know you're a Christian? Do you have to wear a T-shirt that's got something on it about Christianity for people to know? Or can they know by you alone? See? That's, that's the big question here. And you know what, friends? I have to tell you. This is significant because had the Jews been right, then sinless perfection would have been required. And since it, that would be true, then salvation would have to be earned, you see. And you can't earn it. And that's exactly what the Pharisees tried to force upon the Jews. They said, well, you know, if you, if you really want to be in God's kingdom, well, then you've got to do all these things. And they added all these incredible rules and regulations to the Jewish people that nobody could follow. And aren't you glad that God accepted you as you were and said, now just follow me. Be like me. Hmm. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Friends, there are people in the church today trying to live Christianity their way. There are churches teaching that. Well, if you wear your hair a certain way, if you wear certain clothes, if you, you know, if you go to church every Sunday, if you, well, yeah, I, I, I think that there's some credence to that. I think traditionally uh, you ought to be in church as much as you possibly can, and I think it's probably the right thing to do, don't you? The Bible seems to indicate that. I think, I think that you should give God your very best in everything you do, including your clothing, what you wear. That's why that phrase, the Sunday best, is out there. People put on their Sunday best, you know, right? I mean, I, I haven't seen anybody walk in here in a tuxedo and an evening gown. Not for a long time. But you better believe if we go to some big hoity-toity little thing, we're going to do that. Anybody? So in that regard, we're actually dressing up better for people than we are for God, aren't we? Not, listen, you do with, with that what you want. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wear shorts. I'm not saying you shouldn't wear flip-flops. I'm not saying you shouldn't. What I'm saying is, what are you giving God? Your best is not just in your clothing. It's, it's, it's in who you are. That's why Put On Our Sunday Best came out. God wants the best you, doesn't he? He wants the best you have to offer. At the end of the Bible, or the end of the Old, Old Testament, Malachi, we find that the people were offering to God the animals that were the sick and the lame. And God wasn't very happy about that. And I wonder if sometimes we offer God the dregs 
of what we have, whether it's time, material, clothing, even our minds maybe, particularly our hearts. How about that? Do we give God our, our last? We might. So this all goes together, and we have to understand that it goes together. And I think there are people, again, in the church doing that today. It, and here's another thing the Jews were doing. Some of them tried to hang their hat on being part of Abraham's lineage. It's almost like, you know, hey, <laughs> well, we're descendants of Abraham, so that puts us in God's kingdom automatically. Do you know I've actually had people tell me, um, uh, I'm a Christian because uh, my grandmother went to that church and she prayed for me. Good for grandma. What did you do about it? Well, I'm grandma's grandson. Good for you. And now what? They actually believe that. Right? Doesn't work that way. It'd be nice if it did, maybe. But you can see God's point why it doesn't. Because you yourself have to seek, accept, and live properly because of it. And grandma's prayers went a long way, but they didn't get you saved. You had to make that decision. Now, she prayed that you would get saved, though, didn't she? Okay. So you see, friends, <laughs> we have wrong ideas about what makes us saved and justified in God's kingdom. And then Paul goes along and says that salvation is also not through the law. Romans 3, 27, 28, he said, where then is boasting? It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, here's the thing. This is yet another scripture in which grace-only Christians claim that we're not bound to the law. And I had this massive argument with a pastor who's no longer here in town. It actually started with, he was arguing with Bill Coker, what, he, what he's doing, isn't it? And I've told you this before. He, they, these, we were at a pastor function. And, and Bill and this pastor were talking about, you know, Bible. And this pastor was adamant that we're not under the law in any way, shape, or form. That the entire Old Testament law was abolished. And Bill said, no, 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 like Bill would, you know. He said, well, let me tell you something. And so these two got, started going at it. And I came in, I sat down, and, and, <laughs> and Bill said, will you tell him what I'm trying to say? I'm like, don't get, me, don't get me involved in this, okay? Well, we went round and round and round. He was adamant that the law is completely abolished. And I said, well, then what do you do with the fact that Jesus came to fulfill it then? And he just kept going back to grace. I'm saved by grace. That's all he would say. Yeah, but the law's still intact. Otherwise, we would just tear the Old Testament out and the Ten Commandments and throw them out. You're misinterpreting the bigger picture. And again, we go back to that biblical contradiction. And since the Bible has no contradictions, then the Old Testament ought to be there. Amen? Okay, so we have to look at this whole thing in its entirety. You can't just look at one scripture to back up your belief system. You have to use the entire scripture. As far as I know, the whole thing is relevant, yeah? Didn't Paul say in, in Timothy, or in his letter to Timothy, that all of the scripture is God-breathed? And didn't he say that all of it is used for teaching and admonishing? Yes or no? Well, yeah. I paraphrase a little, but that's what he said. Okay? So we got to use the whole thing. And at the same time, we have to know the reasons why Paul writes these things. Again, there were Jews trying to get saved simply by following a set of rules and statutes. And you can't. 
And that's what Paul was writing to them about. Which brings me to my next point. Paul also showed that actions alone, including circumcision, can save you. Actions and circumcision alone cannot save you. It doesn't matter what kind of circumcision it is. It doesn't matter what kind of actions it is. You can't get saved just by doing something. Okay? In fact, Abraham was called case in point of justification by faith about the law of Moses or circumcision. In Romans 4, 1 to 5, we see that this is true. It's clear in the scripture that God set the terms of circumcision on Abraham. No doubt he did it. I, I read it over and over and over again. We've been studying it on, in Genesis on Wednesday nights. Paul, uh, and, and the Bible tells us it's true. Even the Hebrews comes back and says it. God set circumcision upon Abraham. Yes or no? He said, do this. Every one of your household, regardless of whether they're Jews or not, or Hebrews or not, you circumcise them all. Well, Abraham had a whole bunch of slaves that he got in Egypt that were in his household, yeah? And it wasn't so much what they would or would not believe. It's that Abraham had a responsibility to teach them the right, didn't he? Now, same thing goes in your household. Your kids may not be Christians when they leave the house. But your responsibility is to teach them about the Lord and to be a Christian while they're in it. And it doesn't matter what their age is now, does it? Okay? So Abraham got a, a, a similar thing, you see. You're, you're not absolved of your responsibility. And that's what God was trying to tell him. In fact, God required every single person in, or every male in his household to be circumcised. And, and from that point forward, every male born had to be circumcised by the eighth day. And God didn't give up on that neither. Okay? Why did God choose Abraham? Because he had a righteous heart. That's what the Bible says. He was called a friend of God. And God wouldn't have done this as an example, chosen Abraham, if he didn't have it. Would he? And this is why the circumcision alone didn't make them godly, you see. They were circumcised because they were godly or chose to be godly or taught to be godly. You understand? And that circumcision set them apart as people who believed in God. Now, what they did when they're outside of Abraham's household, that's on them. What they do when they're outside of your household, that's on them. But you taught them what to be, and that is the key. Yet Paul continually reminded them of the necessity of actions. In fact, Paul never said necessarily actions. He said lifestyle and behavior aren't necessary to prove obedience to God. It's more than that. He never, he never said that these things don't prove it. People will say that, but that's not what he said. In fact, he said just the opposite. He said that to prove your salvation, your works and your deeds and your actions, they're necessary because it proves who you are. When you're saved, you will change and act a, a certain way. You will change and get rid of the things that you know ought not be there. And you will pick up and start to apply to your life the things that should be there. Yes or no? Well, I did. I suspect you have as well. Now, do we fail at that sometimes? Yes. Do we fail to do the things we should? Yes. And do you know it when you've done it? Most of the time, probably. Paul said that the Spirit living in you was because of your salvation. And if the Spirit's in you, then you would show in your obedience. It would show in your lifestyle. It would show in your working for the kingdom of God, in your service to others. And do I have scripture to back it up? Yeah. Galatians 5, Galatians 3, Romans 6, Philippians 2, 2 Thessalonians 1. All of those are in there, and they all talk about it 100%. That's what Paul says. 
So what does James say then about it? Well, let's begin with the question. According to James, will faith without deeds or actions save you? Well, the answer is clearly no. He says it. It's obvious based on the analogies that James gives. You see, friends, James knew that too many people in the church were living life doing nothing but believing in Christ. Of course, that's not happening today, is it? Do you think there are people out there that believe in God, believe in Christ, but have never given their heart to Him? Is that possible? How is that possible? But it is, isn't it? You see, these people considered belief to be enough. They were becoming grace and love only people. And we, I, I, th I think we have that in the church today. And James knew that that was dangerous, which is why he rebukes them heavily. And of course, it brought on a heated backlash, as it does today when you say it. Because these people wanted faith in Christ alone to cover all their sins without having to turn from them. And that, that, that's not going to work. I know, people, I know people today that do that. You see, John had the same problem within the church. And that's why he too chastised the people who were living this way. He told them that if they didn't obey Christ and stop their sinning, <laughs> there was going to be a reckoning for them. In fact, he told them that if you don't stop your sinning but you claim to be, be a Christian, then you're not really saved. Do you know how many people struggle with that? They can't believe it. And yet, it's not me saying it, it's, it's John. In fact, it is in this letter that many scholars believe, because of this letter, that many scholars believe that John was assassinated while on the island of Patmos because he was just too forthwith on it. People didn't want to hear that. There's conjecture that he was killed by the Roman government, and there's conjecture that he was killed by people who said they were Christians and didn't like what he said. Maybe one day we'll know. But it wouldn't surprise me either way, would it you? And John was an old man. He was the last disciple living at this time. And his epistle in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, his epistles are urgent in what they're saying to the church. Do these things. Time is short. You know, you've had, you've all known somebody who was elderly and knew that they were, they were dying and would bring their family around them and they would get a hold of you and get your arms in. Now listen to me, okay? You might call them famous last words. I call them wise words. Listen to me. You got to hear me here. This is important. I want you to know something. Maybe I didn't do a good job of teaching you before, but now I don't have much time left, and so I'm going to tell you now, and you better listen. Both of my granddads did similar things to me. Anybody have that happen to them? There's an urgency that comes, you see, and John <laughs> is providing it. 1 John 5, 1 to 5, listen to this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Did you hear that? And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. 
and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in other words, friends, what John is trying to say to us is this. Actions, deeds, and works, they all prove your obedience to God, which proves your love to Him. You understand? In fact, what, what John is trying to say is, if you don't obey the Father, you can't possibly love Him. Boy, you could hear a pin drop, couldn't you? Maybe not on the carpet, but you know what I mean. See, people want, we don't, we don't want to talk like that. We don't, we, want, we don't want to talk about that today. We want to hear that. We want to talk about love and smile all the time. And say, oh, it's just love, you know. Yep. And God is love, but he demands your obedience. It's not optional. Never has been. And it's a shame that John had to say it. It's a shame that God had to put it there through him. But there was a problem in the church, and that's what was happening, you see. And I began to think about that. So if I'm, if I'm not obedient, are you saying that I can't possibly be saved? But I think I am. What if I think I am? You see, friends, this is the problem. We want to determine what we think being saved means. We want to be the ones to tell God, we're, we're, we, we believe in His love and His grace, and so that makes us saved. Well, it's more than that. You see, this is why James and John make these claims that your salvation leads to love for God. When, 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 that's how it was for me. When, I mean, I, I love the Lord a lot more today than I did before I got saved. Anybody? Right? Because of what He did for me. Anybody? I know where I would be without it. Does anybody know that? I, I'm not interested. Are you? I'm not interested in what it would be without him. And I'm grateful for what he did. I'm grateful that he sacrificed for me. That he took my place. And you got to kind of automatically love that guy for doing that for you. Because you, you, you could never give that back. You could never do enough to make restitution for what he did. He gave his life for you. What else is there? And because you love God because of what he did for you, now your love desires to be obedient to him. It's not a chore. That's exactly what he's saying. It's not burdensome. You want to. You desire to. You, you, and, and, and it upsets you when you're not. You want to please the father. You look at any little kid, and I'll show you a kid that wants to please the parent because they love him. And that doesn't mean they won't step out once in a while. And most of the time, if they've been taught right, they're sorry they did it. Okay? Because they want to please the parent. Shouldn't you want to please your parent? Shouldn't you want to please the one who saved you? Your love desires to be obedient, and your obedience is the way to stop sinful lifestyle. Obedience is stopping sinful lifestyle. Not talk to the hand, God. I want your salvation over here. I want to identify with heaven, but I'm not going to identify with the cross. I'm not, I'm not going to have a heart circumcision, and I'm not going to pick up my cross and carry it for you every day either. But I, but I want your salvation. 
Too many Christians in the church today are living that way. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody you know. The fact is, it doesn't matter who or why. It's got to stop. And God wants you to stop. And guess what? You can change it right now, this instant, and be justified right now because of it. You can change immediately. It's an immediate thing. I told you before, I do not believe that grace covers all sin. And people get upset with me when I say it. Okay? But I do believe it covers sins that you didn't know you were sinning or your heart desire is to change it. I believe that covers it. But when you tell God, oh, talk to the hand. I'm going to keep doing this because I want to. What's God going to say about that? It isn't up to me, it's up to him, and I don't think it's going to be good. Anybody? You see, friends, if this doesn't happen, you can't be justified to God. You can't be, you did, because you weren't obedient to the acceptance. And this, my friends, is what brings the truth to bear. Faith, and James says it, faith without deeds, without works, without action is dead. It's dead. It's like wishing somebody well without meaning it. You know, like walking up, live long and prosper. Come on, that was a joke. You guys, do you think Spock meant it? No. <laughs> but here's the thing. This is what James is saying about a brother or sister who's hungry and needs clothes. We do nothing about that but tell them, we wish you well and we're praying for you. Uh, we've done it, right? Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when people have worn it out and they're not doing anything for themselves. You know, let God be your guide, Nat. I'm not telling you what to do. And maybe you say, well, I think we're talking about two different things here. Well, apparently we're not because James brings it in here. Okay? And it's exactly what John is talking about in 1 John 3. Listen to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay ours down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. And it's not just about material things either. You get that? If you see someone in need of salvation and you keep your mouth shut, you got a problem. Anybody? You see, what he's saying is it can't be demonstrated. In other words, James is saying that you can't prove your faith without showing it in your life. And again, too many love and grace only Christians are doing this. They prove their faithlessness by accepting sinful activity in the lives of people. Things that keep them from full surrender and pardon by the Father. You understand? Either it's in themselves or others. They use grace as their means, and my friends, this angers God. They have cheapened His amazing gift to us, which is exactly why I continually say that grace is not a license to do what you want, but the means to do what you must. Amen? And, and, and on that note, my friends, there's one more thing. Notice that James says it's like the demons. They believe too, and they tremble. Now, see, we, I think we've misinterpreted that sometimes. Why would it be there at the, end of, the tail end of this thing? Why would he put it there? Why would God say that if it wasn't about justification? 
Because I believe that it is. It's not just about doing things for poor people or the indigent and destitute. It's not just about that. It's everything. Let me explain that to you, okay? The thing is, <laughs> how can I say this? When you turn a blind eye to sinful activity in yourself and other people, whether they're saved or not, or they think they're saved or not, then you're being just like the demons. I think that's what James is trying to say. Okay? Let me explain that to you. He says in verse 19 that the demons know the truth too, but they went against it, and now they know what their eternal status will be, and it makes them tremble. They know that they failed, and they know what their lot is going to be. Okay? They, went, they were disobedient. Yes or no? Are we disobedient if we refuse to call out sin in someone's life? if it's going to keep them from heaven. Yes or no? I, I read it that it is. I read it that it is. And, and if, if we're going to do that, friends, here, here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Why, what, is, what is significant about this claim by James? I mean, this, this is a fair question. Clearly, in my mind, he is saying that we as Christians refuse to obey God by allowing sinful activity in our lives and the lives of others and in the church, and when we cover it by claiming grace and love with no lifestyle change, we are exactly like the demons, and we will be, we will be found with them at judgment. And I'm going to tell you something. Right or wrong, we better get this one right. We better get this one right, okay? So let's talk about this justification thing. Justification is by actions. And, and, and I, I got to go back to, to Abraham and Rahab here because James does. Abraham, what kind of person was he? Well, he was a Hebrew. He was godly. He was a man. And he was a child of God. That's what the Bible says. How was he justified? Well, his deeds and his actions, his behavior and belief system, these things perfected his faith. How do I know? Genesis 22, Hebrews 5, both say, and as such, God called him a friend of God. 2 Chronicles 27, Isaiah 41, John 15. Abraham was justified by his faith, and because of that, he became a friend of God. He was a man, he was a Hebrew, a child of God. Let's go to, let's go to Rahab, completely different person. Completely opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Stunning that James puts these two in the same paragraph, okay? What kind of person was Rahab? She was a Gentile. She was immoral. She was a female, and she was an alien to God or an unsaved person, a non-believer in God. You understand? How was she justified? Because the Bible says she was. She heard. She believed. She obeyed. That's what the scriptures all say. They're all listed out here. Joshua 2.10, Joshua 2.11, uh, uh, Hebrews 11.31, and Joshua, Joshua 2.12, James 2.25. Notice that the scriptures commend her, her, work, her working faith and not for the lie she told. Her faith was commended by what she did. Both of these people came to God through belief and action, not just belief. Now, James doesn't deny salvation by faith, but he does deny justification by faith alone. Let me explain that to you. This is not that deep. This is not that hard. Once you understand the difference between salvation and justification, they're twofold. They come together. Salvation is the act of saving you. Justification is the reason why. 
you are justified back to God because the penalty you owed was paid for you, and that makes you righteous before God. You understand? That's justification. Justification is what brings you back into the kingdom of God, brings you back into God's family. Justification. You're justified. Justice has been done. Justice, justification, just. You understand? Is God just? Yes, he was satisfied. Christ did it. Amen? Okay, that's the difference. But you had to choose it. Your, your salvation and justification are different, but both are part of the process. We're only saved because we've been justified before God. And if you aren't justified, you aren't saved. You understand that? Okay? You could argue that Jesus is the one doing the justification, and this is true only to the point. Let me explain this. Because Jesus died to justify all people, yes or no? Friends, Jesus died to justify all people, yes or no? Yes, but not everybody chooses it, do they? You see the difference? Okay? You have to choose it for it to be any good, yeah? Okay? Yes or no? Well, not all of you are convinced. You see, Jesus died to justify all people. He satisfied the law, but not everybody's going to choose it. And if they don't, the justification for them means nothing because they didn't accept it. You know, right? I mean, friends, we've all gotten coupons in the mail for something. And you had every intention of using that coupon, didn't you? And then you come across it one day, and it's like a year past the time you got it, and you realize the date's no good. Can't use it. You, you got something, if you, if you come into the store, or you'll get something free for doing it. Well, but not if you miss the date. It's no good. You have to actually redeem it for it to be any good. And there's a great word, isn't it? How about that? You see? You see, when we choose Christ, our justification only stays in place when we act accordingly. That's what the Wesleyan Church teaches. That's what Wesleyan Arminian theology is. And that's what it means. And that brings me to my final point. This is why I can tell you with certainty that Paul and James are not contradicting each other. With certainty. Paul refers to the salvation of sinners, whereas James refers to the justification of Christians. You understand that? You got to get that in your brain. This is very important. Both writers appeal to the same quotation to prove their point. And it's, it comes from Genesis 15, 6. And we have to go back to Abraham and Rahab to see it. Let me explain it. In each instance, Abraham had been a child of God for a number of years, and his initial justification was by faith in God, and Hebrews 11.8 tells us that that is true. You follow me so far? Okay. Rahab, however, was an alien. She was an unbeliever. She was a Gentile. She was an outsider. And she was justified by her actions. Clearly, both the unbeliever and the Christian must be justified by faith that has action, and that's what James is trying to tell you. Okay? Very important. The unbeliever. Look at the unbeliever. In Mark 16, 15, 16, this is what Jesus said. Go to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Listen to this. He who has been believed and been baptized shall be saved. He who has believed and baptized shall be saved. Do you understand that? Okay? Is baptism necessary for salvation? Yes, because it's in obedience. 
Does that mean that the person who gives their life to Christ and dies before they're baptized isn't saved? No, I don't think so. I mean, what do you do with the thief on the cross if that's true? Okay? You grasp that? I've had people that got saved in the hospital bed right before they died, and there's no way we could have got them baptized before they died. Are you going to tell me they're not saved? Somebody would. But that's not, I think, what he's trying to say here. Baptism is obedience because it's saying, I belong to Christ, and I'm going to get baptized to prove that's who I belong to. It's an outward appearance of an inward work, yes or no? And the person that refuses to get baptized is going to have to deal with God, yeah? I had a gal in another church one time tell me, well, I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I don't need to get a water baptism. Well, you better take that up with God then because he said to do it. So I'm taking it in his word. But you see, friends, baptism isn't what saves you. I think that there are people who've gotten baptized but never had a heart change. And guess what? Are they saved? I don't know, but I doubt it. Might as well just go dunk in the river or wherever. It's about your heart. It's about what you decide. It's about what you believe. You see, it's just like see, baptism is, is your obedience to salvation because just like circumcision in Abraham's family, baptism is what sets you apart to God by your obedience. God told Abraham, circumcise your family. God, Christ told us, get baptized. You see? It's obedience. Now let's look at the Christian. Matthew 28, 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the, the, of the age. Jesus is saying that we prove our salvation by our obedience. That obedience, friends, is teaching the truth to whom? All people, even unbelievers. Yeah? Do you sometimes have to teach the truth to believers? Yeah. Did he, did he distinguish between the two? No, he said all peoples, all nations. I think we automatically assume that that just means unbelievers. No, it doesn't. If, 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 if you have a wayward Christian in your midst, don't you have a responsibility to teach them the truth? I, that's how I understand it. And I, I don't think God's going to let me off the hook if I don't. What do you think? And listen, it's like I always told you, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the messenger. You may not like what God's trying to tell you, but hey, they're not my words, they're his. And when people say, well, what do you think about this? What do I tell them? Let's go back to the Word of God and see what it says. Can't really go wrong there, can you? <laughs> you see, friends, obedience is teaching the truth to all believers regardless if they want to hear it or not. And a lot of people don't want to hear it, do they? Guys, you don't have to agree with me, but at least an answer. <laughs> do all people want to hear the truth? No. Okay. And we must also rebuke so-called Christians when they want to accept sinful activity. I say so-called because I can't prove that they are. As far as I can see, if you're not obedient to God, if you accept sinful activity, God says you can't. How could you be saved? Because the love of the Father can't be in you. Now, it's not my call. It's His. But I think it's a pretty good indication. Didn't Paul say, you'll know each other by the fruits of the Spirit? Well, if the fruits of the Spirit aren't in there, there's a serious question to your salvation. Yes or no? Just saying. 
Jesus is clear about teaching them to obey what? He said, everything I've taught you. Teach them to obey what? Everything. You can't pick and choose. This is not Burger King and you can't have it your way. You want to. I don't even know if they say that anymore, do they? Yeah, because th last time I was at Burger King, I couldn't get it my way. But whatever. So that's the society we live in now, you see. Yeah, I'm that guy that wants to go in there and get um, the sandwich in the morning with a hamburger on it. I'm that guy. And I've had more times than not, I've been told, oh, we, we, don't, we don't do it that way. No, 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 you do. You just don't know it. <laughs> I always got to get a manager. And I, I've even had managers tell me they can't do it. And then most of them say, yeah, we do. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. how did we get on that? You did that. I didn't. <laughs> anyway. Here's a question. If, if, if Christ wants us to teach people to obey everything, here's my question to you. When did Jesus ever disagree with the Father? Did he not say the Father and I are always in agreement? Well, if you have Christians out there in churches or friends or family or whatever that say that grace covers everything and you can continue to live in a simple lifestyle, that's not in agreement with the Father. And Jesus did not allow that. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, but he expected the lifestyle change. Yes or no? Jesus, my friends, speaks of justification before men. And, and when I say that, I mean, what man saw Abraham offer Isaac? Nobody. Only God saw it. We know because Abraham clearly told somebody, didn't he? Or maybe Isaac did. Okay? But God knew what Abraham would do. I know with all that I am that God knew what Abraham would do, but Abraham didn't know. And God wanted Abraham to know what he would do because that would give him confidence in his faith with the Father. Yes or no? I believe that, okay? Therefore, it proved his faith to himself, and God always has reasons for doing that. Sometimes, friends, you and I doubt our faith. Have you ever doubted your faith? Who in here has doubted their faith? Sure. Why? Sometimes you can't even come up with a good reason for it. Maybe you've had a series of failures. Maybe you've had some, some bad events. And here, there's those people out there who say, well, you know, what goes around comes around. So I was bad, blah, blah, blah. And so God's punishing me. No, 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 the Bible doesn't indicate that. Maybe in the Old Testament, not in the New. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that there's not going to have to be a change here before the end of time. But, okay? But we doubt for a lot of reasons. And our faith wavers, no question about it. It can, be, again, be due to failure. It can be other people. And Satan's pretty good at it. Yeah? Okay, Yet God has ways of bringing things into our lives in order for us to have victory through Him. He's done it time and time again in my own life, and I know He's done it in yours, and I've watched it happen here. I've seen people come to this altar and get saved. I've seen people come to this altar and get healed by devastating and, and uh, illnesses, and, and I've even seen people get healed by terminal diseases. Right here. Who, who remembers those? You bet, come on. You've seen it. It happened here. I give examples. Okay? Terminal. Went back to the doctor, it was gone. It happened right here. God is in the business. Now, he doesn't always do that, but he has, and he can. God can change all sorts of things in you. Situations, even you. And when that happens, it proves to us that we have faith in God. And then God will use that to bolster our faith even more 
so that when we come into contact with other people, He will typically use it to help someone else through us. And He's done that time and time and time again. And how often has God brought a strong Christian across your path when you needed it and vice versa? Huh? You see, Paul writes of a true faith, whereas James writes of a false faith. They're, they're opposites. And, he, and, and they both are in agreement. One comes from one direction, one from the other. What makes faith, saving faith, is works of obedience, according to James. But Paul says we're justified by deeds, works, and actions, and Paul doesn't contradict any of this truth. In fact, he agrees and embraces it. And if you look at it, Galatians 5, 6 says so. You see, they got to go together. James and Paul in agreement. If you're going to have faith in Christ, your actions ought to show it. Because if not, then your faith is called into question. And perhaps it should be. And as our worship team comes, let me tell you this. Friends, I, you know, we, we, we teach in Western Armenian theology that you can lose your salvation. But I want to be clear about something. I really don't think it's that easy to do. I think you really, really got to walk away from it. I think you really have to denounce it. And, and, and here's the thing. I believe that you can be eternally saved by accepting. And why would you ever want to give that up? If you keep your eyes focused where they belong, if you spend time in the Word of God, if you, if you allow God to continually work on you and, and progressively move you toward entire sanctification, because, you know, when you get saved, that's initial sanctification. But if God is, I mean, none of us have arrived the day we got saved. Nobody. Wesley said he believed in Christian perfection. There are people who dispute that. I've heard Christians say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be. Well, that's false. Because Jesus said, be like me in every regard. And if you are, are you perfect? Of course. And when you're presented, when Christ returns, are you perfect? And if, and, if, and if you have fallen short somewhere in there, but your mind and heart is focused on him and you've accepted him, does not he fill in the gap? Of course he does. He justified you. You see, friends, that's, that's the answer. But the enemy wants you to think, well, you're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough, so why try? And God said, no, 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 no. This is, this is what you are, but this is what you can be. This is how I see you. Be like my child. Be like my son. Because when you are, you're everything I want you to be. And I will give you the keys to heaven. I will give you the crown of life. And who in here doesn't want that? You see, friends, we, we, we almost take it theologically too far. No, you can't just believe and think everything's hunky-dory. You're going to have to do some things. And wouldn't, what, wouldn't you want to? But when you do everything is possible and there's, more, there's nothing more you can do and there's things to be done, God will do it in you. And when He does, guess what? You're perfected. And that's exactly what God wants from us.